It is Wisconsin week. Welcome into the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Schaefer, joined by Michael Brunts and Brian Christofferson. And I think we should just get the condolences out of the way, Brian. Uh, sorry that your baseball season came to an end. Brunts knows what that's like. His baseball season also came to an end roughly in May. Yeah. So he's had a little bit more time to adjust to it. Um, we offer our deepest condolences to you. Do you do you want a minute to just kind of remember the season that was? I mean, it was a, a pretty impressive run, I feel like, for your boys. So take, take some time and just really ex- explore the studio space here. I got over-the-top angry, actually, about a Sports Illustrated tweet which showed – the Twins players, and it had a graphic that showed the Twins have now lost 13 in a row in the postseason. And it was a poster from Lost, which I'm thinking that's a really out-of-date reference first off. And uh, it just seemed unfair from the magazine that said we were the worst team in the history of baseball before the season. So if any of those guys are listening or the 22-year-old intern who put that tweet up from Sports Illustrated, I'll freaking fight you any day of the week. <laughs> You know, Who will you I, take I got this? it. <laughs> I've got Eddie Rosario's back. I've got uh, Byron Buxton's back. We will be back next year, and uh, at least to the ALCS. Calling wow. it now. Here's a question: the the, uh, the anonymous scout thing from from earlier yeah. this spring, and not to turn this into a Twins podcast. I think but, we absolutely can. Okay. Um, did you have that displayed somewhere in your house every morning where, like, you saw it when you, you yeah. were on your way to the bathroom when you like were doing Rocky your thousand four. sit-ups? It was like Rocky Four. As you know, I get up at 4.30 in the morning and do a thousand crunches. <laughs> we and, found that out when we tried to go to Illinois. Yeah. And uh, before I do those crunches, I look in the mirror, and I have that, and I, I look at it, I take it, and I crumple it like Rocky does uh, with the picture of Drago. No. Except I have like a thousand printout sheets so I can crumple it and then put a new one up every morning. I, I don't want to take this too far from the twins, but I think our listening audience would kind of be interested. Is there a particular style of crunches? Do you, I mean, are your feet like in the air? Are you, is it normal sit-up guy? Feet, do you crisscross? I mean, feet, how, do you, how do you do this? Feet crossed in the air. Oh, wow. Right arm the right knee and you do a thousand of them a day this is actually all fiction what we're talking about but <laughs> it's but, actually it's just 500 it's, it's, some, he does. it's something i i think about doing it not 4 30 but like 8 30 when like, i usually wake up man i should do a thousand crunches right now yeah all right <laughs> i'm gonna go back to bed yeah all right well we're we've probably moved past the twins portion of the show uh we will we will jump right into Illinois' electric atmosphere. Brunch, you've been pushing this for months now. And Nebraska went out there, and they rolled out to a 28-6 to win. They were able to survive, um, you know, a raucous field house with a lot of... Uh, ex- field house? Eh, I mean, it's a field. It felt like a house. Um, a lot of Illinois fans. How, how was Nebraska able to go on the road and survive this test? Uh, I don't know if you could hear it at home, but it was just – you could barely think in the press box. It was difficult. Well, I mean, there was no Wi-Fi in the press box, first of all. For some of them. We're, we're not going to get into that. But I, I think you, you had a number of factors at play here. Um, you had Dick Butkus in the house, which I think probably kicked that up at least a half a notch. Um, 
beyond that, I, I think you know Lovey Smith smelled blood um, with, with Nebraska coming in to Memorial Stadium in Champaign. Uh, I, I want to say that it was around forty-two thousand was the announced attendance for a, a capacity of sixty thousand. Uh, I know that there was some trepidation on the part of Illinois folks that perhaps Friday night lights cut into that a little bit. I don't know that that's necessarily the case. Um, but, you know, Nebraska was able to, to go in there and, and weather the storm. I mean, you, I, I think you really learn something about your team when you can go into a, a, a simmering cauldron of hate like Memorial Stadium was uh, and not only come out with a win, but also just, you know, dominate. So, um would I say it was one of Nebraska's best road victories in the last decade? Maybe. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think it's something that Nebraska can probably build off uh, wins-wise. Um, and I'm saying this all tongue-in-cheek, of course. It was. Uh, it was I, I love that both of you have had <laughs> joking responses that went a little bit, and then you felt like, oh, there could be a listener who might take me seriously. I really, you know... I'm concerned that there's someone out there who thinks I'm going to do 10,000 crunches or someone who really thought that, uh, you know, this uh, Illinois game and the atmosphere lived up to its its billing. You said Lovey Smith smelled blood in the water. The same coach who ran multiple times on third down. He was he, he was, was certain goal from the eight, and they ran a draw. He was playing the long view, blood in the water, and he did that. That's the the best part was all of the Chicago Bears fans who were tweeting during the game about how familiar that kind of it should con- be familiar confused Lovey Smith stare at the scoreboard was after they run for four yards on third and eight inside the red zone. But um, yeah, it was. It was one of those games where you just Nebraska needed to go in and get out and get on with their way. Like it, it wasn't. Uh, I have to say this, and this is this is you know maybe saying something, but that atmosphere was significantly better than the one in 2015 when Nebraska played there and Bill Cubit was on the sidelines uh, in what was possibly one of the ugliest football games I've ever seen. So. Um, the one disappointment for me on this trip was that we didn't find any yoo in, in Champaign um, in, in honor of former Illinois coach Dennis uh, Tim Beckman. Excuse me. <laughs> I almost said Dennis Beckman. Uh, Tim, um, happy birthday to his mother and, uh, you know, a good game for Nebraska. There's a lot of, like, inside references there, I think, but I'll allow it. I mean, you don't really have any choice. No, that's true. You want my thoughts, thoughts? thoughts on the game? Yeah, well, we'll move into some more serious analysis now that Bruns has finished. Yeah, geez. I'm done. I'm going to sit out a couple <laughs> plays here. Yeah, it might be okay. All right. Oh, well, I, I, like, uh, I like where the defense is trending, and I know everybody immediately says, well, they haven't played anybody, and there's, there's truth to that. But I also get a little bit annoyed when all week long before a game like Illinois, everybody I hear says, well, they just need to get out of there with a the win, however it is, be it, you know, even if it's ugly. Who said that? Like everybody. Like me and you and him. Did you say it? I, about five minutes ago in the middle of that rant. but <laughs> <laughs> They got but, out of there with a the win. They got out of there with a well, the win. Well, what I'm saying is it, it wasn't even really ugly. They they coasted easily to the win, and then everybody who said, "Oh, any win would do," kind of poo poos it. And I think you what guys... you described as the first seven games of the 2016 season, in which Nebraska played the 85 Bears. What we we ran through the NFL teams they faced when it was Purdue, Illinois, uh, 
Indiana, the Oregon win, which at the time was lauded, became immediately considered to be pathetic that they had to score late. Uh, there, there's a lot of moving of the goalposts when it comes to Nebraska's results and analysis. Yeah, so, I mean, it was it was solid on offense. You got some conf- confidence for Tanner Lee, you would think, in a first half where, uh, you know, he was 11-13, hit 10 passes in a row. And I, I know there are guys wide open, but he hit them and ends up with a stat line of 17-24, and I counted four drops. So if, if you give him those, he would have been at 21 of 24. And there was maybe one or two passes where you cringed. And you're like, okay, Tanner, this is, I mean, let's learn from the past weeks. But I think you could you could go around college football every game you watch and find a quarterback who's that age that throws two passes a game that aren't the, the best idea in the world. So it was a, it was a positive performance. It's nothing uh, groundbreaking. And now it brings us into the week, which I think is the biggest game in Mike Riley's tenure as coach here. Well, let's start with that. I mean, you want to expand on that a little bit? Well, I think this this shifts. I mean, here's an opportunity. I think that's the word you have to embrace if you're Nebraska football to shift a narrative. And um, I know narrative gets used all the time. That word is so overused probably, and I use it all the time. But I think there's a lot of people who, after the Northern Illinois game, got in that mode like oh they're only going to win one or two more games you know is that type of season and now you know they've kind of they're at least their heads above water now after the last two weeks and there's a chance to win a game that would give you a one game edge in the west and the tiebreaker which is basically the equivalent of having a two game lead and i think if that happened people would wake up sunday morning and say hey Let's map out the wet, the rest of this race and see if they might win this thing. I mean, that, that all of a sudden you go from all this big picture talk about the head coach and his status to maybe they can get to Indianapolis. That, that's how that's how much this game shifts conversation. You had on Saturday the uh, the breakdown that, that you write. You write it every week on on Sunday afternoon usually. Uh, goes up sometimes to, Sunday evening. Yeah, I was just gonna I was gonna leave it for Sunday afternoon. But if you want to clarify, feel free. Uh, but with it being a Friday game in the electric atmosphere of Champagne, it went up on Saturday, and I thought it was a really interesting examination of where Nebraska's headspace is at going into this game against Wisconsin versus other years where Nebraska felt like it was the assumed favorite or the team with you know something to prove and this time it's a little bit different and I, I thought you did a nice job kind of breaking that down yeah if you look at the last five years there have been at least three examples where you thought Nebraska football might be on the edge of really turning into something big here and I know people don't look at it that way now but 2012 when they went to Indianapolis I mean the Rose Bowl. yeah everybody's thinking they're going to the Rose Bowl they're going to beat this seven and five team and you know, this program is really climbing. And then 2014 uh, ends up with the coach getting fired. But at going into that game, um, Nebraska has one loss, is kind of in the – they're at least ranked in that playoff discussion. I don't think they really had a great shot at that. But uh, win that game, you win the division, and, you know, you're a top-10 team. And instead, uh, the coach is on the hot seat after the game. And then, you know, last year they're 7-0, and and they win that game, and they're – they would have been in the top five, I think, if they had won that game at the time. So that's that's a position they've been in, and now this year is kind of going back.
I said earlier, it's just this this state where you you, you feel like a lot of people are kind of ducking under the table a little bit, and I, I get a lot of response like, oh, it's going to be a blowout and and that. And I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes I think in the psychology of it, that can be an advantage for a team a little bit. Let me throw this at you guys because I look at this game and the thing that jumps out to me, Nebraska's played a better schedule than Wisconsin to this point. They played more quality teams. Even the teams, you know, Northern Illinois and Arkansas State are better than the Florida Atlantic, Utah State games, BYU even, that, that Wisconsin has played. Does that matter to you when you're looking at this in the sense of, Nebraska's chances to hang in this game because they have played better opponents. Here's here's kind of where I come down on it, and I was a little surprised when the 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 point spread came out. I mean, given that it's at Nebraska at night, um, I, I just the the closeness that the last two games have been in fifteen and sixteen, in spite of the fact that Nebraska had a completely patchwork offensive line last year. Uh, Tommy Armstrong completed less than 50% of his passes in those last two games. Um, I, I just I, I don't see how this version of the Wisconsin team is 13 points better than than Nebraska this year. I'm Nebraska. Are, are they 13 points better than the Wisconsin team last year? No. That's what I can't figure out. No, I, I, I don't think they are. And I the the like yes, Nebraska is mistake prone on offense. Tanner Lee has given up points himself in turnovers, but I, not I just, in the last one game. Yeah, he he came out of that cauldron unscathed. Um, I, I just I don't see this being a runaway. Like I, I and your point too about who Wisconsin's played. I don't think Northwestern's very good. Florida Atlantic is not very good. Um, you know BYU is BYU, but they took a step back this year. I think. Um, I mean, this, this is really going to be the first time I think that Nebraska, that Wisconsin is going to be tested, and I, I I think that matters. I'll be curious to see kind of composure-wise where Wisconsin's at um, in this kind of an atmosphere. But I, I just don't I, – I can't logically get to how Nebraska is supposedly a double-digit dog in this game to this Wisconsin team because I, I didn't see them take a huge step forward from last year, and I haven't seen Nebraska take a – you know, huge step back this year either in spite of their record and where they are coming into this game, which I think last year was a little bit of fool's gold anyways. Well, it's all, it's going to come down to that O-line. I mean, they're dealing against dealing with a Wisconsin defense that they're pretty creative in how they get pressure on you, and they've been very effective at it. And if you look at the last three times Nebraska's played Wisconsin – Nebraska's completed 36% of its passes, and that's somewhat on Tommy Armstrong. It was somewhat on the line play and receiver play. Nebraska's wide receivers. Some play calling in there, too. Yeah, it's been a whole mix of it, and Nebraska's wide receivers have to find a way in this game to help their quarterback and separate from a Wisconsin secondary that is going to be very hands-on and try try to take them out of the play right right off the snap and make it where it's boom boom for Tanner Lee instead of this deal where he's he's searching searching up sack from behind you know and so 
it, it's all going to work together. The receivers have to help the O-line. The O-line has to help Tanner Lee. And uh, this they got to complete about 55% of their passes somehow, some way. Can Nebraska get vertical in this game? I mean, they, they haven't done it since Arkansas State, really. And, and you could argue Oregon, they had a couple deep balls that should have been caught. Um, but they, they haven't really gone vertical the last few weeks. To me, this Wisconsin defense dares you to go vertical. They, they play everything sort of in front, and they want you to try to go long because that's maybe the space in the field where you have the best shot, but it's also taking a, a high-risk play. Can Nebraska do that? Uh, I, I would be surprised if Nebraska could. Uh, I, I don't know that Tanner Lee is going to have the time to allow for those routes to develop, and I, I just don't think that you know, outside of, let's say, Stanley Morgan and DeMarnay Pearsonell, I don't know if there's a lot of guys. I mean, J.D. Spielman and maybe Tyjon Lindsay too, but I, I just don't see a lot of guys that are going to be creating a ton of space. Um, this feels like a game where Nebraska should be able to find the tight ends a little bit more. They're going to have to run the ball, but I, I just don't see, you know, unless it's off of play action or something like that, I don't see Nebraska hitting a ton of deep balls in this game either. I, I, Wisconsin doesn't really allow for it. They don't give up a lot of big plays, and, and there's a, a reason why. And it's, you know, they they don't let opponent, uh, opposing quarterbacks have that much time. I think they've only given up eight plays of 20 yards or more. It's like top five in the country stat. In games like this, it always feels like there's those one or two plays where you get a shot at that home run, and Nebraska just needs to hit it. I mean, they, that, that one time they need to connect – um, a guy like Tyjon Lindsay, like I could see there being one play in this game where he's going deep and there's an opportunity. And, you know, if you can find a play like that that just brings the stadium down, you can change the whole game. That's why I always think it's funny when I tweeted about this earlier this week when people speak in absolutes about college football games between name programs. There's so much emotion involved and everything we talk about all week, blah, 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 like this can shift after one or two, you know, one or two plays shifts the whole thing and what the other team's thinking, where their mindset's at, where their confidence is at. These are 18 to 22-year-old guys. So if Nebraska can make that one play where you don't necessarily expect it, but it pops out out of nowhere, maybe it's a Lindsey or a Spielman or somebody like that, it can, it can really, it, I think if Nebraska could play downhill with that crowd behind them, which I think is... I think this is going to be one of those Husker crowds where they see this this as this is the last stand type of game. Like, okay, this is the season hanging in the balance here. They're going to be amped up beyond belief at the start of this game. Like, it's a top ten matchup. I really I, think that. I think you're getting the Miami 2014 crowd, which is probably the best home crowd to start a game that I can remember. They wanted blood that for night. a lot of what you for a lot of what you described. I mean, because people revise and pretend like the Michigan State crowd was fired up and, and people were ready to do That's not true. Not till the end. Um, the Oregon game, I mean, people were excited. But for some reason, that Michigan State night – or excuse me, just said it. the That Miami night game in 2014 is kind of when I remember the crowd sounding loud, coming through the, the glass in the press box. Like, you felt like they were there. Miami moves it into the red zone. And Nebraska's fans are loud throughout that game and and I think you're right I think that you're gonna see something similar to that out of the fan base and and when you mention that stat this is what I mean when it's really hard for me to take analytics and college football seriously 
the offenses that Wisconsin has played have been terrible this year. Now, is that in accord to the fact that they played Wisconsin and Wisconsin's defense is really good? Or is it, you know, yeah. Duke Duke beat Northwestern 41-13? to I mean, are, are we really to take, even though there was a ton of hype about Clayton Thorson and Justin Jackson, it's not a very good offensive team. Like, it's just, I, I struggle so much with college football because it's not like the NFL where you have comparable, even your bad NFL teams are still very good. Your bad college football teams are very, very bad. And so it's just, I, I struggle with Wisconsin every year because they play such a different style. They make teams look ugly. All of their games are ugly. But then you, you always wonder why it is that they, they come out with these wins and they don't particularly look good when doing it. I, I tweeted on Saturday when we were driving back, I can't get myself to respect Wisconsin football enough for what they're able to do when they run people like Alex Hornibrook out as a quarterback. That guy does not scare me. I mean, I went back and I've watched him this year at times, and he can make some throws and he can make some plays. But I think Nebraska has an opportunity in this game to hang with. It just I, – I, I mean, they have to go out and do – I cannot believe the spread is 13. I really can't. Yeah, I mean, like I said, that's what I just can't wrap my head around. Like, I mean, you started at eight and a half, sure, whatever. Thirteen, <laughs> really? Yeah. Based on what? I, I, I mean, to the to the Hornybrook conversation. I mean, he is completing sixty seven percent of his passes for nine touchdowns. Yeah, he's been very efficient. Um, he also yeah. played his worst game against the best team they played last week. Right, I know, and that, and that's. Why I kind of wonder how he's going, what what his level of poise is going to be. In, and he in that was terrible in that game last year. I mean, Bart Houston was the better of the two quarterbacks. And, and it's funny if you go back and watch that game from last year. Um, I thought Nebraska's defensive line last year pretty much won the the battle with Wisconsin's offensive line. I mean, I, I think that was a reason why that game was as close as it was, especially late when, when Wisconsin was having to throw the ball a little bit more. Um, I think Nebraska can get after Hornerbrook. I, I think you, you're obviously anytime you play Wisconsin, you're going to have to avoid third and short because they can just kill you if, if they're you know having success on first and second down. And, and Fumagalli, if he plays, uh, that's a big factor as well because you know he, he's had two good games against Nebraska. Uh, even though Nebraska this year has actually done a pretty nice job, I think of shutting tight ends down. Where what's his status? Do we know? Uh, still questionable. I, I think he's getting better, so I, I would be surprised if he doesn't play. But you know, we'll, we'll see. I guess hamstring injuries are kind of funky like that. They're tricky. We talk about that. Yeah, and and BC, I think I, I cut you off to jump in on the Miami no. 2014. But I mean, is there is there an X factor portion of this game to you? Uh, does does any side of the ball stand out like they have to do more to win this than any other particular? I think this this game is going to come down to when both teams get their limited opportunities inside the other side's 20-25 yard line, red zone, who turns one or two of those into touchdowns? Because I, I really feel like Nebraska's defense will give a little bit. We've seen the philosophy now. It's, all, it's right out there for how Diaco's going to operate with this particular group he has. He knows his cornerbacks are young and learning and kind of a liability right now. 
And so he's willing to, okay, we're going to concede some space on the outside. You might have an, we'll give you an eight, 10 yard pass here between the twenties. But when it gets down inside that zone and you've got the end line as your 12th defender, his defenses have been pretty good, um, over the years and they're starting to look that way again at Nebraska. But now the question is, can you do that against a, you know, a really solid outfit? And so if, if Nebraska, it's as simple as this to me, if they can like hold Wisconsin to three field goals on those trips inside the 20 that are going to happen at some point, you know, they're going to be in the game with a chance to win it at the very end. And, and then it comes down to Riley talked about this on Monday little Mortal Kombat finish them. I mean, Nebraska has been in position the last two years where the game was right there in their hand. You know, last year you have the drive at the end of regulation where you're moving it with Stanley Morgan on the outside, and then the thing just uh, sinks at the 50-yard line, and then you get – you know, you give up a touchdown in overtime, but you they miss the extra point, and you're like, okay, 25 yards, and you win the West Division. And – you go nowhere. And then the year before, obviously, Nebraska is one first down away and one defensive stop, and they don't get it done. That's the thing about Wisconsin. I agree with you. They're kind of one of those teams where you watch them sometimes. You're like, man, this is this is kind of ugly. I don't, I, I don't know how they always do it. But they do have this toughness about them where it feels like they, they believe over their past recent history that they're going to find a way somehow to win this game. And that's where I think Nebraska is still trying to get to. They Correct me if I'm wrong. It's been over a year since they lost a game by more than a touchdown. Right? I mean, in 2016, all of their losses, they lost 14-7 to, to Michigan, I think. They lost to Penn State by a touchdown in the, the Big Ten championship game. They lost in overtime to Ohio State. Uh, I mean, this is a... Most of their games, when they're not physically overwhelming teams, are pretty close. And they do a really good job, like Brian said, at the end of games. And they, they kind of have that confidence. It's just built up. They think they're going to win those situations, and more often than not, they have. Just got this in from our stats department. Uh, Michigan lost 14-7, like you said. Ohio State, 30-23 to in overtime. And uh, Penn State, 38-31. Our stats department really getting things done. I yeah, I appreciate that. It's, it, it, we're lucky to have them. Uh, let me let me throw a couple names of guys at you from this past week, uh, and let me know what you thought of their performance and how they can help the team maybe going forward. And I think the obvious one, and we'll start with BC because he just wrote about him, um, Ben Stilley. What uh, what did you see out of his Illinois performance, and how can this guy help Nebraska? You know, as they go through this Big Ten schedule. I didn't necessarily see this coming from him yet. I mean, I thought he might play snaps here or there, but he's out there in the first quarter against Illinois, you know, when they're inside the five-yard line, and he makes what you could argue is the biggest play of the game in, in some fashion because he, he knocks him back five yards, and Illinois has to settle for a field goal, and I think it kind of set the tone for how that game was going to go. Um, and he's in an interesting spot because he's kind of that tweener guy. I mean, even Riley said that after the game where – he could be a D lineman, but he, right now he's technically an outside backer in Diaco's scheme. But he's just strong. I mean, he's a tough guy to move, and I think he's pretty quick for his size. He's listed at 255. 
you know, he's got those wrestling feet and moves and leverage and all that stuff. He was a two-time state champ in that, and um, he's just strong as heck. I mean, the thing I wrote about was how at Ashland Greenwood, he weighed 240 and wrestled heavyweight, so he's going up against guys who are 280 sometimes, and his coach is like, yeah, but he was stronger than them. I mean, that their 280 was not his 240. And so uh, pretty impressive stuff for a guy who's only played two games. I'm not saying he's going to be a difference maker in this game. I don't know how much he factors into it, to be honest. But it's encouraging that this guy, you know, is is just – he's got three more years of football ahead of him. So you kind of think about where he can go to. It's exciting. And uh, for Brunts, we'll go with DeMornay Pearsonell coming off of the performance he had against Illinois. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, you know, got it done at, at wide receiver. I mean, I, I think you saw the benefit of, of having Stanley Morgan back on the field, too, for him, where it definitely creates a lot of space. Uh, a lot of the routes that you saw him running against Illinois, I think, are routes that Nebraska is going to feature quite a bit against Wisconsin. I mean, the, the defense that they run seems to uh, give up those kind of rub routes over the middle and, and kind of the short uh, drag routes that, that he does so well. And, you know, I, I think he could be a big factor in this game. And when you talk about a, a guy who, you know, can, can affect the game at wide receiver, punt return is huge in a game where one or two plays can really shift things. And, you know, I, I feel like this could be a game too where – it gets into a little bit of a field position battle. So I, I think he's going to have a pretty big uh, opportunity uh, against Wisconsin to, to make an impact. I'll, I'll throw one back at you. It was Stanley Morgan. I mean, he had probably the just complete up-and-down game that you could have. Very you know? Yeah. What, what did you make of that? I don't know. I mean, he's got really good hands, and he's shown in the past that he can make some catches that few people – at Nebraska are capable this side of Jordan Westerkamp of, of making, but on some of those crossing routes where it's the simplest ones are, are where he has struggled, they need a big game from him against Wisconsin. I, I, they need a receiver that challenges Wisconsin both vertically, isn't afraid to go over the middle. I mean, he's a tough kid, and Stanley Morgan is dealing with kind of a neck injury that is more probably uncomfortable than it is limiting. Which, which makes it hard. You get hit in the wrong spot. It's going to make it hard. But he went out and he played against Illinois, and so the expectation is he's going to go out and play against uh, Wisconsin, and they need him. He's going to have, you know, and, and BC hit on this, he's going to have a play or two in that game where if he makes it, it can really set Nebraska up. And, and it's easy to say this, you know, now. Uh, he had a play against Wisconsin last year where he felt like he should have been able to make that play, and that, that wins him the game. I mean, I, I would bet on Drew Brown making that point after touchdown. Uh, so I, I think that it's going to be a, a big opportunity for him um, this this Saturday against a defense that I've always wondered why Nebraska has struggled as much as they have against because it's not like they lack weapons. And, and certainly last year when they had the offensive weapons with wide receivers to, to really match up and, and cause problems with those drag routes, I mean, Brandon Riley was wide open on a number of times coming across the middle of the field because of how they were able to, to get him open. And if you have a quarterback that has, A, the time, and B, the accuracy to get him the ball, and that's what you're hoping with Tanner Lee, despite the fact that you know A and B have both been questionable this year, that it theoretically gives Nebraska a chance uh, to really kind of take advantage of areas where Wisconsin has struggled. 
So, um, long answer. I think that Stanley Morgan's a, a big, big key to this game. One last one. I'll throw it to, to either of you or, or myself or whatever. If I told you that Antonio Reed was maybe the most valuable player of the first five games, would you scoff at that assertion? No, I wouldn't scoff at it because I I mean they were in a <laughs> I mean they were in a pickle. I mean when you when you think about what happened at that safety spot and all the guys that were available there when the spring started and then by the time you're in the third game, you know, there's no Kalu, there's no Doman and Kyron Williams has kind of been that Mel Carton guy for the, this staff and the last, you know, the last staff I think had some questions about him. So Antonio Reed, the fact that he was able to step out there with one good hand and give them quality snaps on the back end of that defense where if you make a mistake, everybody knows it, and uh, it can turn a short play into a long play, I, I think he's in that conversation. I don't, I'd have to think about it a little bit more. I don't know if I'd put him number one, but he's in the, he's in the top five, I but think. But that, that's maybe a name that you know Luke Gifford, a lot of us expected, would have a yeah. good year based on how he played in fall camp. But I don't know if anyone was anticipating that Antonio Reed would have as much value. I mean, they've had games, and you mentioned this. You you went into the spring where you had JoJo Doman, you moved over Joshua Kalu, you had Aaron Williams, you have Antonio Reed, you have Kyron Williams. They have those guys behind them. And then by the third game, you no longer have Kalu, you don't have Doman. In the fourth game, you lose Aaron Williams on like the fifth play of the game. So then Reed becomes your veteran safety back there with one hand. And he's played really well, I feel like, in run support with one good good hand. I mean, uh, and he had the big hit against Oregon. I, I've just been surprised because I didn't expect – I didn't expect he'd have as big of a role. I kind of thought with Kalu being moved over, he was sort of the odd man out. They'd get him in when they could, and, and certain packages would allow him to be on the field. But I think he's really stepped up in, a, in an area where they, they needed him. Yeah, and it's interesting what – his role is this week, as you get into the injury discussion, with Kalu, can Kalu make a go of it? What does that do to Reed? How do you use him if Kalu can play? Um, Chris Jones, you know, I was really skeptical going into this week that he's going to come back. And then yesterday you hear <clears throat> Diaco talk about him, and it makes you wonder a little bit. And I don't know if – I'm sure there's some uh, – it's a chess match a little bit, I'm sure, with Husker coaches and what they want to say about who's going to play and who's not going to play and kind of leave Wisconsin guessing there. But um, that's an interesting component to this game. If one of those guys is even out there for just a little bit, Kalu or Jones, and what does that do to the spirits of the defense? Um, how good can they actually be as rusty as they are? Does Wisconsin go after them if they're out there? I mean, that's that's a whole other sidebar to this game. You think Jones plays? I said I was thinking no Monday, and then yesterday I left thinking maybe. Um, uh, yeah, I do think he might play. Is Dante it? was very uh, – as soon as the Jones question came up, he – he said that Jones has a lot of has a long way to go to be ready for game speed to know the playbook. Uh, and that he's focused on the other guys right now that have been playing. So he's going to play? Which felt like a very <laughs> direct way to try to avoid talking about Chris Jones. Yeah. And you throw in the fact that Diaco kind of talked about him. It's, I don't know, the, 
the rabbit ears have gone up and the tinfoil hat. I'm I'm kind of thinking maybe they're trying to downplay the fact. I mean, and Riley's been weird about Chris Jones the entire time. I, I think you got to, as a coach, you kind of have to walk a pretty fine line with that discussion because you've got a guy that's coming back way ahead of right. when he was supposed to, and you know you've got NFL aspirations tied up in there too, but. Um, I mean, he was cleared to return to practice last week. I think that there's, you know, I, I, I don't know how he would play extended snaps just based on, I, like, how are you, how do you have the endurance built up, I guess, for that. But, was it on the I, I but think they can work him in on a rotation if you've already right. got three guys rotating. Right. I, I think I think you do that. You, you play him at nickel, something like that, where, I mean, it's it, more than a Willis-Reed moment, but less than playing every snap, I think, is a is where he's going to fall in. Willis what, if, uh, what if Chris Jones, these are like the what-ifs of Husker football. What if he's out there and, like, he just has a pick six? Like, what, is that, what happens to that stadium? It just I, falls over. I, I think it turns <laughs> into a cauldron of – that's the cauldron you were talking about. Excitement that we've only seen those, in Illinois. <laughs> those guys that talked about how Nebraska wasn't going to win another game would have been discussing how Nebraska would beat <laughs> Oregon and Northern Illinois if only Chris Jones was. Helping. I always like thinking about hypotheticals that would just make the state like loot, like an earthquake happen, and that would be that would be such a thing. <laughs> well, that's good to know about you. We'll do a whole podcast of hypotheticals with you sometime. Brunson and I will write them up. <laughs> And you determine whether they seem realistic or whether ED. No, that could it. never happen. Could this like, happen? <laughs> no, no. I, I like Move this. On. Yeah. We could do a weekly Bye segment. week, maybe? <laughs> yeah, I think that that's I'll, – I'll start coming up with some now. All right. Uh, is there anything else we need to hit on? We've touched on injuries. We've touched on offense. I've made fun of Wisconsin. Um, special teams, that seem like that's going to be a big role here this week? It's always big. Always big on special teams, okay, especially coach. this week, though, because – I mean, when you're talking about four or five plays that are essentially going to decide this game. Um, and it has been the last two years huge. Right. You miss a field goal here. You get a big return there. Um, you know, I, I think Nebraska's got the guys that you have to feel pretty good about, you know, the, the chance that at least they could make a play that would kind of swing the game for them. Both teams have good kickers. You know, that they got they got their guy back now. From injury, so he's only been in college so, for twenty-seven years. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, I think he kicked on that uh, Ron Dane Rose Bowl team. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> and the reason that you know he's been around a while, he's got the one-bar face mask. <laughs> he's been grandfathered <laughs> in on. Uh, I mean, should we talk recruiting? It feels like a good time. I think we could we could get into some recruiting. Is there anything going on recruiting wise this weekend? There's some stuff going on recruiting wise, such as. Uh, Nebraska's going to host quite a few people here this weekend. Uh, the visit list isn't finalized yet, but what we know, uh, they're going to have a number of their commitments in, starting with – I'll just try to run through these and Brunts to help me out if I if I struggle. I don't have an electronic device in front of me that can – Stats department is at the ready. Yeah, good. Uh, they'll have Cameron Brown in. They'll have Brendan Radley-Hiles in, Joshua Moore, Tate Wildeman, Will Farniak, who I often refer to as Matt Farniak is going to be visiting as well. Mazarine May Pew, Cameron Jurgens. So that's seven. Uh, Barrett Pickering is eight. Who am I missing? Did you get a – you got a Cameron Brown in there? Yeah. You got a TJ Pledger? 
is he in there? Oh, he's not a commitment to Nebraska. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. I thought you were just going. I thought you were going through everybody. Because I'll start with the commitments. And are, then you saying he's a, wait, are you saying he's a – are you saying T.J. Pledger is that a, a slip? Is something happening with <laughs> T.J. Pledger, Brunch? What do you know? Uh, the stat department's <laughs> getting real overworked right now trying to find the uh, commit list here. Yeah. <laughs> the stats department can't find the commit list. Though. No. Uh, we've, the the department has it now. So Okay. I, I think you got everybody that's going to be in town. Yeah, so the uh, Chase Williams. I didn't get everybody. Stats department failed. Stats stats department was briefly a uh, black department out. is not getting a raise. <laughs> uh so they, they've got a good group of commitments coming in and that's important in the sense that one of the questions I get asked the most is, is if it's not Brennan Bradley Hiles, is is Nebraska going to be able to keep their current commits together while they're going through this stretch? And I think that getting these guys here on campus for the Wisconsin game and what, you know, Brian mentioned this, and, and I totally agree, and Brunt probably doesn't know if it's going to be as good as the Illinois atmosphere, but what should be a pretty good atmosphere for Nebraska this, this weekend – that, that can only help. And you throw in that I think they're going to have a pretty strong game against a team that's in the top ten in the country. That's going to help, too. These guys aren't so much worried about the wins and losses. They're, they want to know that the program, that there's hope going forward. And I think Nebraska's coaches do a pretty good job of selling that. They want to know that this is a place that they want to spend time in and play football at and the opportunity to play in big games. That's all going to be on display on Saturday. And so it's a great opportunity to lock in Chase Williams, who's really only looking at Nebraska and USC right now. Uh, It's a great opportunity to remind Joshua Moore that, hey, there's plenty of playing time for wide receivers on on campus at Nebraska. It's a great opportunity for Brennan Radley-Hiles to be back at Nebraska to be reminded what it was that he fell in love with the first time that he came out here for the spring game, uh, to be around the fans, to, to kind of get to live the sort of celebrity life that's going to await him if he comes to Lincoln. So it, it's it's huge for the commitments that they have coming in. And then on top of that, they've got some really big names that are, that are targets, including T.J. Pledger, who Brunt's mentioned, including Brian Hightower and Tommy Bush, two four-star wide receivers, guys that uh, can really help Nebraska both in terms of the fact that they're bigger than, than the normal wide receivers Nebraska's been running out there. Uh, Tommy Bush is 6'4". Brian Hightower is 6'2 and 6'3". Uh, Hightower committed to Miami. Tommy Bush from San Antonio looking at Texas, Baylor, uh, Alabama, a number of programs. Got a, a really good chance, you know, to, to kind of sell, you know, one of those guys. You've got Maybe the the most known non-Brendan Radley-Hiles portion of Nebraska's recruiting this year, Micah Parsons, he and his dad, I, I'm not entirely sure yet if his mom uh, is coming on this trip, but they're going to be out here. This is going to be, you know, the visit weekend. I'd be shocked if we're not hearing his name chanted at some point, you know, down on the sidelines. It was a, a big part of Friday Night Lights. He's very excited. I mean, he's linked very heavily to, to Penn State right now. Uh, because they patched up kind of whatever was going on behind the scenes there. But Nebraska has an opportunity to, to show, again, I mean, if, if their defense comes out and plays well, and I, I really do think Nebraska's defense is going to play well this weekend against Wisconsin, he's going to see where he can fit in, and it's an easier path to playing time in Lincoln than it is going to be in, in 
Happy Valley or in Columbus. The other two options that he's really strongly considering. So those are the, are the main guys that are going to be here. I don't know if there's anybody that I that I missed. There were some people that they had hoped or had considered coming in. Jalen Hall won't be here. Owen uh, Popo, the five-star linebacker from Georgia, teammates and friends with Muhammad Barry won't be here. Uh, but they're, they're going to have other individuals that are going to pop up late. It's going to be a good weekend and a, a good opportunity for Nebraska to really kind of sell what they're trying to do, what they're trying to build. I mean, and they're not just selling it to these recruits. They're selling it to the administrators. They're selling it to, to the fan base. This is a great chance for Nebraska to showcase why Mike Riley was hired to go in and win this game against Wisconsin, to point the trajectory of this program forward, to have the recruits and the talent that they have on the sidelines that were not coming when Nebraska played Wisconsin in 2012 for a night game, the last time that Wisconsin played at night against Bo Pelini, I think. So uh, it, it's just a it's a big, big weekend. I mean, BC said it. This is probably the biggest game of Mike Riley's career at Nebraska. There's a lot going on, whether it's the recruiting, whether it's behind the scenes, whether it's on the field. This is a, a huge opportunity. They they have to go forward with it. Any of those guys jump out to you, whether it's the committed guys, whether it's uh, the targets, anybody that you think, you know, uh, Michael Parsons is the obvious one, but but somebody that you see that could help as early as next year, particularly stick with the commitments. I mean, I'm curious if there's anybody that you've seen or, or jumps out to you that, that maybe isn't discussed enough. Uh, I mean, for me, I, I've kind of – beat this drum a little bit, but I'm a big Cameron Brown guy. Um, I, I think he's, you know, got a chance to come in and, and contribute right away as a, a true freshman, especially given Nebraska's depth chart situation at wide receiver. I think he's a talented athlete. They could even play defensive back if he wanted to. I think he's probably um, overlooked um, a little bit as a prospect, uh, just being from St. Louis, being committed as early as he was. But I, I think he's a guy that – uh, is going to be a big piece of this class uh, by the time it's all said and done. I, I think he's probably one of the stands out. I mean, you know, Buki being what he is, I mean, he's a, a program changer on and off the field. Uh, but kind of the, I guess, under-the-radar guy, I'd say, is definitely Cameron Brown for me. Yeah. I mean, I always <laughs> – Buki is such, the, such an obvious answer, and it's almost cliche at this point. But on this week, as you were – going through that, uh, all that's on the line, just on the field and off the field. The fact that he's here and he's a magnet and he's an alpha dog. He's one of those guys, like, if he's there, everybody wants to be by him. And it just it it just reaffirmed to me how giant this weekend is for the program as a whole. And anybody who's kind of tuned out the last couple of weeks or they feel like, yeah, I'm not that interested where this thing's headed, this is not the time to tune to change the channel. This is the interesting part of the show. Uh, what happens this week, it, it's going to shift it dramatically with this team and with the guys that are on that sideline committed. And, you know, if, it, if Nebraska's playing well on the field and that stadium is on fire and – you know, Buki's not his head and guys are around him. That's, that is a, that is so significant. I mean, you just can't almost say it enough. It's, 
It's good. I mean, this is a fun week. This is the this is the, what it's all all about. This is what putting cl- recruiting classes together are all about. Having that weekend where you get some big time guys, and then you show this is where our program is heading on the field, and this is what the passion for this program is like. It's not. I mean, I know football's big everywhere, but you are a rock star here if you come play here, and you're needed. And I, there's just there's a, there's a lot, a lot to sell right there. So and our stats department appears to be looking something up. We'll throw it to them. I, w- I was just looking at the uh, the official visitors for that uh, 2012 Nebraska game against Wisconsin at night. Here's your list: Deshaun Hunt, who ended up at uh, Oregon State; uh, Christian Morris ended up at UCLA; Kenny Lacey, who also ended up at UCLA. Neither of them played, right? Uh, believe Lacey did. I thought they both transferred. Did they? Okay. Um, David Neville, uh, Shelby Christie, who ended up at Michigan. Shelby Christie All Stars, Mississippi State. Uh, JD Heinet, who ended up okay. at Cal. Greg Hart he actually played. Yeah, Greg Greg Hart, who signed with Nebraska, ended up in Nebraska, and then uh, ended up at Kentucky. Uh, Marcus McWilson, Courtney Love. Uh, Dan Samuelson, that's a name that I hadn't thought of in a while. Uh, Dominic Walker, who uh, ended up at Auburn and was wished luck at Auburn. Uh, And JoJo Kemp, who ended up, uh, the running back, ended up at at Kentucky. So kind of an interesting look back on who was there for that game. So of that list, Marcus McWilson by far and away had the best career. Uh, Yeah, I believe so. Uh, well, JoJo Kemp actually, I think, did pretty well at Kentucky. If yeah, I he was he was solid. Uh, he was definitely solid. So it was essentially four future Kentucky players. Yes, were on that visit list. Yes, and a, and a very well thought of uh, UCLA offensive line class. It didn't pan out. I'm I'm glad you brought this up. Someone shared with me a story that they had heard that uh, Quentin Flowers, Winky. Winky Flowers told people the first time he saw snow was on his official visit to Nebraska, which makes sense until you realize that Quentin Flowers visited in September. I say it was a pretty nice day from what and I remember. The photos of Quentin Flowers, he's wearing a tank top. Yeah. I mean, maybe he wasn't ready for the elements that didn't I, happen that day. I just remember I was being told this story last week, and I'm like, wait a minute. So <laughs> I went back through the archives. I found this photo of Quentin Flowers, who is very short, uh, standing next to four-star wide receiver Eric Brown, who Rich Fisher really, really wanted, uh, and Nebraska really, really wanted. Who's a top two-four-seven guy? Ended up at Cal, never played a snap. Sometimes you go back through these lists, and you're just kind of blown away by how few. I mean. People think Nebraska has all these busts compared to college football. Just go through these lists. Like the the amount of guys that make it versus the amount that don't, it's pretty even split. And it's it's a little funny too because then you also have like the the holy crap guys. I mean, like Ronnie Stanley. Yeah. On his official visit, you're like, okay, this guy's got a, a little bit of a a chance to be okay. Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Yeah, that's a another big one. Yeah, it's uh, Quentin Flowers definitely did not uh, visit in, in snow based <laughs> on what the stats department just found. Yeah, so I, maybe you saw a photo of snow. 
And he had never done a Google image search of it before. Yeah. Everybody's wearing shorts, so unless <laughs> unless that weather turned in a hurry. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, anyways. That's your, that's your Winky Flowers update. Yeah. Uh, Brunts, do we want to talk basketball? Yeah, let's talk a little hoops. We're uh, Nebraska started fall or started practice on uh, over the weekend. Um, was back over at the the facility yesterday, kind of seeing guys run around and shoot a little bit. And uh, I kind of go back to I, I think I said this on the pad, podcast previously during the the minute that we talked hoops, but that this this really looks like a a Big Ten team. I mean, we we haven't really seen them in any kind of scrimmage situation yet, but physically You've been playing in the conference for seven years. Yeah. Now, I mean. But, but I mean, f- this group physically looks like they, they belong in the big 10 where you don't have three or four guys where you're looking at them like, okay, who, who's he and why is he here? And why is he on scholarship kind of a thing? But I, I think that there's, you know, a little bit of confidence on, on the part of, um, Tim Miles, that they've got some guys that, that can factor into a rotation pretty easily. I mean, to me, the the two guys that are probably the most intriguing, just from a physical standpoint, uh, Isaac Copeland and, and Isaiah Isaiah Roby. I mean, both of those guys look um, like they're going to be nightmares. So Not is that a, photo from the summer real? Does Roby really look like that? Yes, he does. He uh, That looked like the worst Photoshop I'd ever seen. Yeah, he... he from where he is now compared to when, like, Nebraska started recruiting him, it's unbelievable, like, how much he's reshaped his body. And he's a guy that, you know, Doobie OKK is going to get a lot of the the hype for his athletic ability. But, you know, Roby's a guy that can, you know, get up and, and jump 12 feet pretty easily. Uh, he was hurt all last year. I never really got into the uh, – wasn't able to get in the weight room very much. Uh, just never really got confident in, in his game. And I think he's going to be due for a pretty big year and, and how they can use him. I mean, he can play point forward. He can probably play the four a little bit if they need him to. Uh, so there's definitely, you know, some unique options. And, and getting Isaac Copeland for the, the first, you know, 12 games or whatever it is of the season is just huge for Nebraska because – He's a guy that's got experience. He's a, another guy that can play the three, can play the four, uh, could probably even play the two a little bit based on what he's done in the past. Um, so I, I think they've got some guys that uh, are going to be pretty intriguing. How they come together, because you always wonder with adding true freshmen and, and guys coming off of transfer seasons, how that's going to look. But uh, at least from where they're starting from this year, uh, I think they've got some difference makers on that roster. And in and, you know, obviously they had a lot of guys transfer out of the program last year, but I, I don't know that they re- really took a step back at all from an athleticism standpoint and its skill. Are they going to be fun? That's my only question. Yeah, I think they should be. They should be. We'll see. Um, it's been a while since they were fun. Yeah, I mean, it, it's. I think it's the Nebraska's deepest team um that Tim Miles has had I think it's probably the the most talented team I mean you could argue that that the tournament team had that ability but I mean that that was so much just Turan they weren't deep Walt Pitchford playing well that year and and Siobhan working in there too and I think they've got four guys four or five guys on this team that are going to be able to score for them in a big picture sense I was thinking about this I could be completely wrong but I think 
a new AD also could be really good for Tim Miles. Like, you know, because the whole thought, like, after last season ended was, oh, this is this make-or-break season. And I'm not saying it isn't. But if they are a fun team, if they are a team that can, you know, even get to the NIT or something, and there's a new guy in the captain's chair looking at it, he might say, you know what, this thing is like, it's it's pushing in a direction I like, and you know why break that up at all? Yeah. As opposed to this kind of, you, you know what the talk was? It was like, oh, they got to get to the NCAA tournament or else. And I'm not saying you should sacrifice that that goal by any means, but I I that's an interesting part of it to me, and I I think I think it could benefit Miles in that program a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, well, especially too with the the guys that would be coming back the following year. I mean, assuming you never know with college basketball, what the transfer picture is going to look like, but a lot of those guys are going to be back for another year. Right. Copeland, Roby, Glenn Watson, uh, Thomas Allen. I mean, it, assuming that. Wait, Copeland has another year after. Yeah, he's got yeah. two years left. Why did I think he only got half a year if they would have turned that down? So you'd have had a year and a half if he turned that down. Right. So now he has two. Right. Wow. So, I mean, if you keep that core together. Does Kirk Ferentz have any thoughts on that? I'm sure he does. <laughs> I'm, he has thoughts on all things Nebraska, but I, I think. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah, they've got a group that you could grow. And I know people want results right now, but that's why I also think it's always silly when there's these blanket statements made like, oh, you got to get to this point. It doesn't work like that. You have to look at how something is developing and if you can see it developing further with more time. My yeah. biggest takeaway from this podcast, BC really does not like blanket statements. No. Hates them. Absolutely. He is not a one-size-fits-all guy. No. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I've been down on absolutes in this <laughs> podcast a lot. It's Captain Context over here. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think that they have the potential to play up-tempo basketball. I mean, ever. So much of last year was decided at the three-point line. Nebraska's inability to defend it or shoot it. And I think they've got guys that will help on both sides. And Length? Yeah, I, I, they've got length. You know, Tim Miles has said that they've, they're looking at schematic ways to make that look better. So we'll see if that actually happens. But, um, it, you know, they know they can't go forward as a program with the way things were on either of those areas last year. Else it's going to be – a, a pretty pretty bad looking uh, site. So everybody was twelve of nineteen from three point yeah. range. Yeah, like <laughs> so basically, last year. basically everybody had their best game uh, three point wise against Nebraska a year ago and defensively too. So all right, well that was the longest Nebraska basketball segment in show history. Should have brought Slider over here. He could have he would uh, cut not us have off. Stood for it. No, would not have stood for it. But it is now that time of the show where we make predictions. And it is time. On football. Well, yeah. Nobody has any basketball <laughs> predictions. I, I mean, we can, we can do a basketball show where we run through the schedule and determine the fate of the program. But we'll save that for another blanket time. Blanket statement. Yeah, included. just blanket statement. <laughs> blanket statement Wednesday. I'm starting to think we should rename the show to blanket statements. <laughs> what we should do is we, we should have a, another segment where you and I just make blanket statements and just see how long it takes BC to get pissed off. Just what if we shake. find blanket <laughs> statements throughout the media and then we just tell them to BC and he reacts to it? Yeah. How's that? Yeah, I think that's... What... That would, I would enjoy that. I would enjoy <laughs> knocking those down. <laughs> All right. So, okay. 
It is prediction time. Nebraska plays at 7 o'clock on Saturday on the BTN to the, the chagrin of people who really get worked up about which network is televising the game now that pay-per-view is no longer a thing for Nebraska football. <coughs> it is time to uh, time to determine who is going to win this game. Um, we will start with Brunts. Give me uh, your thoughts on this contest and then the winner and a score prediction. So... I believe when we went through the schedule at the start of the year, I had Nebraska beating Wisconsin at thirty-eight home. to seven. <laughs> I believe that was the score that you had picked. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. Um, and I probably made some canned joke about Paul Chris khakis at the time too. You uh, referred to him as the Jim Ferrick of the Big Ten. I, I probably did actually. Um, I still, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with Nebraska. In an upset at home, I I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say 27-24, Nebraska. That's a lot of points with the cover. That's 51 points. I know. I uh, that that may include overtime, but um, you know, I, I think uh, I think Nebraska. I'm gonna go with Nebraska. It's a bit of a homer wow. pick. 27-24. 27-24. Definitely a homer pick. Yeah. Uh, BC. I'm going to pick Wisconsin, 23-16. to 16. I think it's going to be one of those games where – One of those games. One of those games. You know, one of those games where uh, it'll be a deal where you have to realize punting the ball is okay. And I still wonder if Tanner Lee will make one or two of those plays where it should have been realized punting the ball is okay, but it's not in the moment and it's forced, and there's a costly interception. I do think if you look at the math on my score, it's a field goal game. I think it's going to be a game where the teams have have their moments where there's some drives where they get down to the 25 or even the 15, and then it stalls out. I think it's going to be one of those those deals. So I'll say batters 23-16. I, don't, I, I think if Nebraska throws one pick or less and – maybe takes away two picks, which I think Cornerbrook can throw a couple of them. I, I think they can win this game. But uh, it'd be nice for Nebraska if they could play this from ahead where it, it where it feels like they're not trying to run uphill with a boulder on its back and feeling the weight of that pressure. If they, if they could get that first score and that stadium comes alive and they're playing like that, it's going to go down to the very wire, I'm almost sure of it. Yeah. I. That's kind of an absolute statement in a way. Felt a little absolute Sorry. It's almost. I said almost. Sure, it's <laughs> kind of a blanket. You it's a fleece statement. Sit, oh. sit down. You don't have to get all up in arms about it. <laughs> He's standing up right now, waving his arms. Uh, I, I just don't respect Wisconsin football. <laughs> what? That's and been a, that's been a theme of this podcast since we started. Is Mike's? Uh, that's even more than my absolute. Theme, I, I mean, like I, I respect like they're able to go out and win games. I respect that they have put together a program that is perennially in the top 25. I just don't feel the gap between where Wisconsin is and where Nebraska is, both in terms of talent, in terms of um, physical ability. I don't believe that Wisconsin runs practices where it's four hours of running their heads into a wall to get ready for games. I don't believe the 
mystique of the Wisconsin offensive line is so much that Nebraska isn't going to be able to slow down that running game. I don't believe in a lot of that, in part because Wisconsin hasn't played anybody to make me think that they're heads and shoulders 13 points better than Nebraska. The other part of this, I think this is going to be an extremely low-scoring game. This has a lot of feel to me of two offenses that are going to play pretty conservative, going to try to play through their defense, going to see if they can get set up with field position, are going to be fine taking field goals instead of trying to push the ball into the end zone at times. I think both coaching staff look at the other team and think they're going to play through their defense. And because of that, you're going to have, to me, a pretty low-scoring game. And it's going to flip on who makes the mistakes and who doesn't. And right now, Nebraska makes more mistakes than Wisconsin does. And so I'm going to go with a Badgers win, but it's going to be close. And I like this game way, way under. I have it at 13-10. I, I, I think that this could come down <laughs> to a really late field goal, and then Nebraska has to try to drive and tie it, and they're just not able to do it. But I'll go with a Wisconsin win. 13-10, but I wouldn't expect uh, aesthetically pleasing football from the offense. So we've, we've got a close game. Everybody here agrees. There's nobody here who thinks this is and It's the same as when Nebraska played Oregon, where all of us had it within a touchdown. Yeah. And the spread was at 14 points by the time that game kicked. Or not kicked, but by the time we got out to Oregon, it came down a little bit. I imagine this will come down some. But I, I just don't see... Anything of what I've watched that tells me that Wisconsin is 13 points better on the road against the best team that they played this year. I can tell you're a little worked up by the crowd of people who kind of have that. Oh, this is a 42 to 10 type game. Yeah, I, I don't understand <laughs> it. Like I don't, I don't understand where it comes from. I get worked up by people that tell me the football power index matters and that Wisconsin's a 96 percent to win this game. Like, what does that even mean? They're not playing FAU. They're not going into Provo against the worst BYU team in the last seven years. That's part of the, you know, with Wisconsin, real quick, I mean, part of the reason that everybody got pretty fired up about them was the way they dominated BYU. And I think it has been learned in recent weeks that BYU's terrible. BYU lost I mean, 28 to nothing to an LSU yeah. team that lost to Troy. Yeah, they're so... That's, you want to use transitive property. That's here. yeah. That's one of those games where the week it happened. I'm, I mean, when I saw that score, I was like, "Oh boy, Wisconsin! They're the that's a juggernaut type of win." But then uh, you watch what BYU's done, and I think it's taken a little bit away from it. But you know, finish. That's going to be it. I mean, this game's gonna, with five minutes left. I'd be surprised if you know exactly who's going to win this game. That that's what I would say. And the rest of it, I'll leave open to just watching it and enjoying it as a reporter you're gonna attempt to enjoy the game i do enjoy games you're gonna you're gonna enjoy that 13 10 you scoff it's gonna be low scoring mr 27 24 track meet that's a track meet in the big 10 west (laughs) very much a track meet in the big 10 west all right any uh any other closing thoughts any blanket statements that need to be said or unsaid uh, you have any baseball you want to throw in just for fun? They've got their. their I think Gary family. Sanchez feels today. Sore. <laughs> got a bag of peas down there. He might. <laughs> he very, very well might. It did give us one of the greatest photos of all time with David Robertson. Yeah. 
reacting to exactly where Gary Sanchez was hit last night. So Right in the where, Bruns? Right in the Twins. Dang. Right in the Twins. All right. Nice. Well, with that, uh, <laughs> we urge everyone to Wear a visit. cup. <laughs> well, yeah, wear a cup if you're playing competitive sports. But also visit Nebraska.247sports.com. And uh, I was going to make a cup Nebraska joke, and I, I lost it. It's not there. Yeah. I lost my train of thought. Just fumbling, just fumbling around in the darkness on the floor for it, but it's not there. <laughs> all right. Well, well, we'll try this again. Make sure you visit Nebraska.247sports.com for all the coverage. Obviously, there's going to be a lot going into this game, and certainly with the recruiting and everything coming out of it, uh, we'll have a better understanding of where things sit with the Mike Riley era, and uh, we'll see if this turns into a Big Ten West track meet um, for Michael Brunson, Brian Christofferson. I'm Mike Schaefer with Nebraska 24-7 Podcast.